0: Hello and welcome to Handles Bank and Insights, I'm Daniel Marnie. On this week's economic update, we take a look at what recent data from the Bank of England tells us about the UK's housing market and trends in business and consumer savings, plus how are trends in migration and working patterns affecting the UK labour market, and at a time of such uncertainty about interest rates and the broader economic outlook, how are markets pricing risk in both UK and European markets. Joining me this week is James Sprawl, Handels Bank in UK's Chief Economist. So James, let's start with the Bank of England credit data that was out last week. Um, I believe there was some data on both household deposits and mortgage lending. What were those data sets telling us about both the housing market and the broader economic outlook?
1: Well, if we kick off with the, the housing data, because um, housing is obviously very, very important and it's a real indicator of Um, broader consumer confidence, which we know from the most recent data from GfK, really has nosedived and and reached all-time lows since 1974. Uh, I personally think that's a bit overdone. Uh, Things are challenging, certainly, but they're not as challenging as the most challenging we've we've had in the last couple of generations. But um, how that's manifesting itself in the housing market has been really in some ways exactly what we would have expected. Now, we've already had about 4% rise in house prices this year already, and we're expecting to see really flat for the remainder of the year now because um house housing or house values remain most people's biggest asset they don't want to take a loss or even a perceived loss on what they think the house is worth so of course market does slow what we see is not falling prices in the first instance we just see falling sales people um they sit on their hands and they, they hope to sell or, or they decide not to move if, if they can't get the price they're up they're asking for so um this really does point to a slowing of the market. We've seen the, the, the mortgage going down from $6.4 billion to $4.1 billion, uh, over the course of uh, the most recent month. Now, if we look okay, at sort of house prices as a percentage of um, uh, income, uh, they are at all-time highs. Uh, they could still go higher, but it's awfully difficult. The, the good news is that if we look at mortgage costs as a percentage of take-home pay, uh, they're not particularly stretched. Uh, and therefore, we're not looking for a bubble to, to come collapsing in on it, itself here but we are certainly looking for some slowdown over the course of this year. The other thing that's really interesting is what's happening with uh, deposits. Now, our overall economic forecast has declined in the GDP this quarter, Q2 of 2022, and then some pretty um, modest growth, 0.1% in Q3 and 4 And much of that is because our expectation has been that the cost of living crisis will be met by people simply not saving as much. But if we're now seeing people uh, because of their, their low consumer confidence, um, not just not save or decide to save, and instead they're not going to spend, that not spending will manifest itself or certainly potential to manifest itself in uh, actual economic slowdown. So we, we are teetering on the brink of a recession before, and we're ha- going to have to keep a very, very close eye on that data in the next few weeks to see what happens to the savings data. Um, and uh, are, are people now preferring to save, uh, even though that means cutting back on their lifestyle and their standard of living um, And the answer seems to be it's up in the air. But the the chances of it moving into a recession are probably just that little bit higher as a result.
0: And James, the Chancellor obviously came up with quite a significant cost of living alleviation package worth £15 billion. Do you expect that to change any of your forecasts going forward? Certainly, there's been some speculation
1: for that. And it's one of the things I'm a little bit more confident that we will avoid that recession as a result. And the question becomes, and there's been a lot of work on this by economists over the years, um, do people, how do people react to what they perceive as being a one-off payment? And if you have a one-off payment, um, do you build that into your spending forecast in the longer term, or do you still think, I'll, I'll bank the payment, and I still am nervous about the prospects for the economy over the next, say, 12 months? Um, and there's, you know, I think the Chancellor is certainly going to help people, but will it give them the confidence to continue to spend their own money, that's a different question and I'm not quite as certain it's really going to come through in the way the Chancellor might have hoped.
0: Okay well let's turn to the UK labour market. Um, Some of the headline numbers quite positive so if you look at the headline unemployment rate for example that would suggest that the labour market is in good health Um, but let's look at two specific um, aspects that I know you've been studying over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, UK migration What's been happening uh, in terms of net migration? How, how might that affect the labour market in the next few years? Well, it's a couple of things on
1: the labour market. One is I, I always like to look at um, sort of the broader trends in the longer term because a lot of the short-term stuff sits against these broader trends. And um, you, can, you can buck the broader trend for a while, but there's always sort of a, a reversion to, to that mean or, or that trend does have a, a big difference. And looking at all this economic data that, that you and I look at on a weekly basis, Daniel, one of the most predictable, of course, is demographics. You know, how many 45-year-olds are there going to be in 10 years' time? Well, count the 35-year-olds up right now, and you've got the number. So demographics really, really predictable in comparison to so much of the stuff that we look at. Now, what the demographic said to us is that the UK working-age population will be falling by about 0.1%. So not enormously, but it used to be growing until about uh, 2010. It will be falling uh, over the next sort of 15, 20 years. So that's just sort of one of the backdrop numbers. But what's happened in terms of migration, of course, um, a lot of people expected migration to change quite significantly as a result of Brexit. Now, there wasn't an immediate uh, impact that we could see coming out in 2016 um, uh, when the Brexit vote took place. But we certainly could see an enormous migration uh, impact as a result of COVID. Now We know lots of people went home uh, and they may not have come back. We also, by the way, saw the same phenomenon happening in, in, in places like Germany, where lots of workers who were not from Germany had also gone home back to Eastern Europe. The question is will they come back and where will they come back from or where will new migrants come from here in the uk it seems that we are getting uh migration numbers coming back up reasonably quickly but and it's a big but they're quite different types of migrants much more global in their scope uh and um uh, the number of low skilled migrants has really come down as well and i think what we're seeing here is some of that friction that businesses which had grown used to being able to utilize, lots of relatively low paid workers are finding life difficult and that could be your local restaurant it could be your local um, uh, uh, construction place it could also be of course your your local airport uh, which uh, employs lots of people on relatively low salaries now one of the government's longer term issues is to try to push up wages but of course there's always a difficult period of friction uh, during which uh, wages rise and um, they're not enough the businesses need to adjust their business model to uh, incorporate that and I think we're seeing some of that friction right now, obviously, with a bit of chaos over the Jubilee weekend uh, in the local airports, et cetera. So um, there's some difficult times ahead, and I don't see um, a, a rapid solution to any of this coming through.
0: So it sounds like um, that's contributing to a certain level of tightness in the labour market. Um, turning to the issue of working patterns um, and that that move towards working from home, at least some of the time uh, following the pandemic, um, who's who's more likely uh, to work from home in terms of different professions um and how's that affecting the broader labor market
1: well there's a number of things going on here that the office for national statistics just did a big big survey amongst people and i think there's an, essentially a conundrum and it's a not a sustainable conundrum either um and you ask for why do people want to work from home and they asked them and they said well some people said well because i normally spend some or, or, or all of my time working from home but they didn't uh, manage to ask people, you know, you used to maybe work one day a week from home, now you're working three or four days a week. They, they couldn't discern that out of the data. But what we've seen so far is that um, it's certainly the best paid who are the keenest on working from home. But, and it's an enormous but, you also ask um, what are the sort of things that you think are the costs of that, uh, of working from home. And collaboration, a lack of collaboration is clearly one of the key elements. A lot of highly paid people um, they, they depend upon that collaboration. And here's where I think that conundrum comes in. They want to work from home, but their value is many times dictated or, or certainly enhanced by their actually working well with others. And that's the one thing which everybody admits is more difficult in working from home. So um, uh, there's clearly a, a big personal preference to working from home, but there's also a big cost. And we have to look at it going forward and say, how do these two things square out? Um, and I certainly don't think we've got um, a long-term answer coming through on that just yet.
0: OK, it'll be very interesting to see what happens um, to those trends in the coming uh, years. James, let's turn to um, interest rate policy. Uh, Handels Bank in UK, I think now we're predicting that there'll be a further two hikes uh, in interest rates. That's quite significantly below market expectations. But I believe there's quite a, quite a wide spread of expectations if you look at city economists across the board.
1: Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't actually say it's, it's uh, below consensus. Um, it's slightly below the consensus. Uh, it's not a, a large margin. And in fact, what we've also seen, if we look at those um, economists' forecasts, is uh, a reasonable number now starting to look for interest rate falls over the next couple of years. So uh, clearly, we've been in a tightening cycle. Um, but we can see some some people saying, you know, looking to zero point seven five by um, the middle of t- twenty twenty three. I think it's probably a little bit pessimistic. Um, but I do think that those who are thinking that interest rates are going to go to 3% are also probably too optimistic, if that's the, the right word, for um, interest rates rising to that that level. So we've just seen Pantheon Macroeconomics has taken their forecast up to 1.5. Um, but the key here is, is a couple of things. One is there is quite a spread. It's between 0. 0.75 and 3. So there's a lot of questioning by economists overall as to where that's sustainable, where, where the Bank of England is going to move. Um, and the Bank of England itself, I still think is it yep. doesn't need to move rates that much and can do a, a good deal of monetary tightening through quantitative tightening.
0: Okay, so in light of that fairly uncertain background about what's going to be happening to interest rates, um, how are markets pricing risk um, in, in other markets, say, so for example, in the sovereign spreads market and also corporate bonds spreads?
1: Yeah, there's some very interesting stuff happening here. If we look at the, the sovereign spreads market, and clearly there has long been a um, markets of differentiated, investors have differentiated between say, a really, really safe uh, borrower, say, a Germany, uh, United States, and somebody who might be a bit less safe and could be, obviously, at one extreme, emerging markets, et cetera. Uh, and, but the long, long-term um, trend has been uh, falling over the last, gosh, 30, 30 or 40 years. Um, you can look back to 1990 when, when average interest rates were around, um, you know, often at 10% or more, and now they're down to, well, well under two. But we've, we've sort of turned a corner and I think a number of things on, in terms of those sovereign spreads uh, are um, going to be coming through is we're going to see more of a spread. So there's going to be more of a credit differentiation between those sovereign borrowers. Yes, um, they're all at very, very low rates, and there's lots of scope for them to, to rise. Not, I'm not thinking we're going to go back to the sort of 10 percentage uh, levels. It's more likely to be something like two. But uh, the, the days of ever falling interest rates, I think, are um, a thing of the past, the other thing that's really key here is what's going on with corporate bond spreads. And a lot of people think uh, you know, interest rates going up, and that's the, the whole story. It isn't at all. And the other key element is what is the additional amount that you as an individual borrower, whether you're an individual person or a company, have to pay um, to compensate for the risk. So obviously a smaller company, uh, more risky, uh, is going to have to pay at a premium. And that premium above the base rates is increasing not just the base rate itself is increasing but the premium is going up by even uh, a, a greater degree so we are starting to see those, those spreads really come up and we look a lot at, for instance u.s corporate bond spreads and we look in the u.s because um there are many more corporate bonds in issuance so we get more liquid data so you get a better idea of what's going on um but we can see quite clearly that all of those risk spreads are going up yes yes we are seeing base rates rise we're seeing some of those um, risk spreads rise by four and five percent so much much greater um, uh, appreciation of the risk being undertaken uh, and the result of that is of course going to be more expensive for for businesses to uh, borrow and therefore um, many many investments which might have seemed a good idea um, a year ago are going to seem like a less good idea because the cost of capital is just that much higher
0: and James just a final question digging down on sovereign spreads uh, obviously, the ECB is now looking to increase rates uh, and also stop its quantitative easing programme. Uh, would you expect sovereign spreads within the euro area to start widening?
1: They have been widening already. So um, I, I sort of think that that's um, uh, long overdue. But uh, the, with, for the ECB, there's clearly a, an additional um, uh, calculation. Now Officially, what the ECB needs to do is to buy, it, it can't there, for instance, just support Italian debt. It has to buy them all in, in ratio of, of the Italian economy to the rest of the Eurozone, which means that they they end up buying a lot of, of uh, German debt, for instance, which they may or may not want to have on their balance sheet. Um, I think they're looking for some solutions to that. I, I, the, the European Union has shown um, uh, commendable flexibility when it comes to these sorts of things uh, over, over history. And I expect them to do that again, to find some way to give support to those economies that need that support that if there wasn't. Um, continuing purchases by the central bank, um, one, one has to wonder at what point would or how high would interest rates rise for their, uh, to find that level of support um, and investor interest uh, Clearly it's not where we are just now, but I think that the ECB is spending a lot of time thinking about that that very question.
0: James, thanks so much for your insights uh, today and look forward to chatting next week. Thanks Daniel. Thanks for listening to Handel's Bank and Insights. If you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. You might also want to share this episode on social media. See you next time.